right, if you will take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter number 5. We are going to come to the conclusion of James's letter. It's interesting in his conclusion, uh, the things that he is going to address in the conclusion, uh, I think are very appropriate for us today. Um, even in the environment that James was writing that they found themselves in in the church, I think it is important for us today to understand and realize just how applicable what James wrote in this letter is to us as well today. And it's interesting that he begins this last half or this last portion as he closes out the letter In verse number 12, he uses a phrase, but above all. And so in light of everything that he has written so far, in light of everything that he has has stated in his letter, he says, but above all, which signifies this transition for us into the closing of his letter. But above all of this, and everything that James has written about, uh, from the suffering of trials and difficulties in life, and when he said that we should count it all joy when they come, that when we find ourselves in the middle of them, because one of the things that it does for us is it works patience in our lives. It works endurance. Because when we find ourselves in the middle of those difficulties and when those difficulties come, and sometimes those trials, even though the trials can be a significant time of suffering, also a time of growing, we should find joy and patience in all of that in our lives. And so James is going to share with us, he said, lest you become a double-minded person. And then as he goes through and he talks about the reason that you have difficulties with inside of the church among yourselves is because of your own lust. And when lust has conceived it, it brings forth sin. And when sin has been completed, it brings forth death. And so as we look at James also going down that road, we come to the the end of his letter and he says, but above all. My brethren, I want you to notice the next part of verse number 12. Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But your I, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. What in the world is it that James is writing here? Well, let me tell you what he's doing. I believe James is reflecting on the words of Jesus himself that was spoken in the Sermon on the Mount. If you flip back to Matthew chapter number 5, I want you to notice where Elijah read this morning. In Matthew chapter number 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a very similar statement. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but it shall fulfill your vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. 
Verse 34, but I say to you, make no oath at all, neither by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Well, I think today you can change the hair color. So what is the, what is the issue here? The issue here is you can't change it just within your own power to make it either naturally white or naturally black, okay? It's a false coloring. But verse 37, Jesus says, but let your statements be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Let's go back to James chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was addressing a situation in which oaths were used to give the appearance of making a binding agreement. And that is the significance of what James is writing here into the church. Reflecting on the words of Jesus himself, making an oath or making an agreement with the appearance that it was a binding agreement or an oath. But the actual wording of the oath contained an escape hatch. So in other words, it was written or agreed upon from that of an oath, and it left them an avenue out. So in other words, if they thought that it wasn't advantageous to them, that they had a way out of it. And so therefore, even though they entered into this oath, there was always this loophole. How many of y'all have heard about loopholes in contracts? Matter of fact, they tell you to make sure that you read your contracts very carefully because oftentimes loopholes are put in built into contracts so that there is a way out. Here's what James says in verse 12 to the church. He said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And so when it comes to who we are in the church and the church as a whole, to say yes and mean it, to say no and equally mean it, is a matter of integrity of character rather than a form of words or a written agreement. A written agreement is just that. A written agreement is nothing more than something that is put on paper. I can remember a day when if two individuals shook hands over the fence over something, you could take it to the bank. It was going to happen. But even with written contracts today, written contracts don't mean a whole lot. And so James is writing to the church here, and here's what he says. He said, do not swear either by heaven, or in other words, do not enter into an oath, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath. But your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. But then you move to verse 13. And let me say this to you this morning. Verse 13. When you understand the environment that James is writing to the church here, you understand the environment that they found themselves in. There was a significant amount of persecution at this moment in time in the church. Not only political, social, economic, they found themselves in a very difficult place. And it is no wonder that James mentioned suffering here again in chapter 5 and verse 13, notice what it says in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? 
Notice the question. Is there anyone among you who is suffering? The response is he goes on through verse 13. There's a, there's a whole series of questions that he's going to ask. And we can't stop with just, is there suffering? There are some who like to stop on the suffering and pause and go back to chapter number 1. But I want you to read all of them. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? They were. There was persecution. There, were, there was political difficulties. There were social difficulties. There were economic difficulties. Then he must pray. But then notice the next question. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing what? He's to sing praise. Suffering and cheerfulness all together in one verse. And let me tell you what that shows. That shows the disparity of life that we can find ourselves in today. Not only from a standpoint of suffering, but also from the standpoint of cheerfulness or joy in our heart. And so when there's joy and cheerfulness in our heart, it ought to be a time of praise and adoration to the one who loves us so during the time of suffering where we find ourselves in a very difficult place. One of the things I want you to notice what he said, he said to do what? To pray. Now, I'm going to tell you, he's going to close out his entire rest of this letter with the emphasis on prayer. So if you're suffering, then you need to pray. If you're cheerful, it's a time to offer up praise. But there is one clear and proper response, and that's to pray. The question becomes, is how much do we pray? How much time do we spend praying? How much time do we, as a church, spend praying? What you're going to find from verse 13, 14, 15, and 16 is something very interesting. Individual believers are called to pray in verse 13. The elders to pray in verse 14 and 15. The congregation to pray in verse 16. And so when we consider the magnitude of prayer and how important prayer should be to not only us individually, but also corporately. And, I'm, and, and, and when I say prayer and when I say praying, I'm talking about not just the prayer that we go through where we offer up requests and, and we pray over them, which is important to do. But how often and how much time do we pray, uh, spend praying for those who find themselves suffering today in trials, in difficulties, and coming alongside and praying for them? For those who find themselves in a place today where they, they, there, there are health issues, there, there are issues that are, that are dealing with them from, from a family. And I will tell you something else, because we're at an age today where we have a difficult time with inside of the church to share with others with others what's going on because we're going to come to a verse in just a moment that's a difficult one to confess with each other to confess to each other to spend time sharing with each other because here's one of the things that, that I want you to understand this is this is what the church should be the church should be a family it's what it should be so do we have difficulties with inside of families today we do do we have times of joy inside of families today? We do. Is there suffering with inside of families today? There is. Is there cheerfulness with inside of families today? There is. 
And let me tell you the whole premise behind the closing of his letter. Let me tell you what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. We ought to be a praying family. Individually, corporately, as a church. When we see things that may not necessarily be what we feel like they ought to be, let me tell you what we ought to do. We ought to get on our knees and pray. That's what we ought to do. And I'm going to tell you, the whole time that I was spending in the last part of James's letter here, it began to really speak to my heart about the own lack of prayer in my own life. Now, I will say this to you. We all get caught up praying. We pray in church. We pray on Wednesday nights. We pray in meetings. We pray in get-togethers. We say the blessing and we say, but how much, how much time do we earnestly spend in prayer? Matter of fact, D.L. Moody called and referred to his old camel knees because of how much time he spent on his knees praying. And matter of fact, believers across history, you go read it, and I will tell you, great things are accomplished when God's people pray instead of trying to react with inside of ourselves. Because I can tell you this, when we begin to react and act inside of ourselves and our own being, then we wonder why we see things begin to fall apart. And I said to myself, the church today, what do we need in the church today? Well, here's an interesting thing about it is we need more laborers in the field. Now, here's something very interesting. You know what it says? Then you ought to pray to the Father that he'd send forth what? Laborers. How many times do we spend trying to generate our own list of laborers instead of going and asking God to provide that list of laborers that we need to lay it on folks' heart to serve how much time have we spent earnestly in prayer praying over things such as this? Hey, intercessory prayer is important. I get that. But when we just get down and just get a hold of the very throne of God and to offer up our requests to him, understanding and realizing that he is the one who answers the prayers. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a blue book in your pew. It looks like this. It's called the Baptist Hymnal. Matter of fact, if you'll take it out real quickly, I want you to turn with me to page 182. Page 182. Hopefully we have the same hymn book. Number 182. Guess what the title is? Let me tell you what, I got this out and begin to read through it. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often, notice what it says, peace we often what? Forfeit. The peace that comes from God, do we often forfeit? Why? Because we do not. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Look at the second verse. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful 
who will all our sorrow share. Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it where? To the Lord in prayer. Look at the last verse. Are we weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise for... Matter of fact, sounds like James's letter, doesn't it? Sounds like James's letter. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In the last line, in his arms he'll take and shield thee. You'll find a solace there. What a friend we have in Jesus to pray. When things get difficult, pray. When things just seem like they're coming apart, pray. What about in our own lives? Matter of fact, James says in verse 13, Is any among you suffering? Then he must pray. Anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. He goes to verse 14 and verse 15, which I, which, which I think is he continues. And let me say this to you. Whether we find happiness or pain in life, we should always go to the throne of grace. Always. Look at verse 14 through verse 16. Now James calls for the elders and believers to pray for each other. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. So what is the gist of 14 and 15? Well, without getting into the 25 debates over verse 14 and verse 15 that theologians have, let me just give you the crux of what it is that James is writing here. And this is what we need to take away from it. And here's what it is that we need to take away from it. James is encouraging both elders and believers to pray for each other. And that's what we should be doing. We should pray for each other. Because when we pray for each other and we seek God's moving, not ours, we seek God's moving, then we can get out of the way and watch what happens. I find it interesting that James moves from that to verse 16 and he says, Therefore, Therefore, in light of all of that, he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Is prayer important? And how important it is to us? How important is prayer to us, really? Do we believe that prayer can, and the throne of God can bring about action? Do we believe today that God can work through prayer, through the power of prayer? And matter of fact, the scripture says, you have not because you ask not. And oftentimes you ask with the wrong motive. Because most of the time our prayers are selfish It's what I need right now. It's God, what can you do for me right now? 
Oftentimes, God, if you need me to go pass through this, God, if you're allowing this to occur and happen in my life because of other, God, help me learn what it is you want me to learn. But oftentimes, the way we see it is we see it as something bad. We see it as something that, well, I'm a believer. I shouldn't have to be going through things like this. Confess your sins one to another. How many of you in here have an accountability person that you hold yourself to, to go to and rely on to to show you things when things aren't where they should be? What about in our own church family? That's a tough one, ain't it? Huh? Some of y'all are looking at me like, you got to be kidding me. Really? You want me to do what? And see, and and here's here's the interesting thing about it. God already knows. God already knows. If we're going to spend time in prayer, one of the first things that we need to deal with and take care of is our own selves. Which can be the tough part. So guess what he does? He's going to use somebody that they would well know and understand and appreciate. And his name is Elijah. What an individual. Matter of fact, when you look at the life of Elijah, look at verse 17 and verse 18. Elijah was a man, and you ought to underline this next part, with a nature like what? You say, you mean he was just like us? Yep, sure was. He was a man just like we are. Let me me just throw out a simple question to you. How much today, with inside of your own self, you believe that God can accomplish? If we'd just take it to him and ask him. You know, sometimes here's what we do. We beat against the air. We fight against our own selves. And we fight against those things that that are just difficulties that oftentimes there's absolutely no way we're going to work through them on our own. And here's one of the things that Satan is very happy for. Satan is very happy that you remain right there. Because Satan knows, Satan knows that when his people go to God in prayer, seeking for things to get done, things happen. But he's content to leave us right where we are, trying to do things on our own, trying to accomplish things totally within ourselves. Verse 17. So Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months, or three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruits. See, Elijah was just like us, with our own failings and weaknesses, 
yet God did mighty things through him. You know what's interesting here is James provides a detail here that you don't find in the Old Testament account. Matter of fact, James says it's three and a half years. Oh, by the way, Jesus substantiates that three and a half years. Matter of fact, if you flip over to Luke chapter number four, you'll find where Jesus himself makes reference to it. Luke chapter number four and verse 25. Luke chapter four and verse 25. And we'll actually start in verse 24. Verse 24 and verse 25. Okay? Verse 24 and verse 25. And he said, to, and, he, and he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his own hometown. Verse 25. But I say to you, in truth, there are many widows in Israel... Or there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when, he, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months. When a great famine came over all of the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Zidon to a woman who was a widow. Three and a half years. Elijah prayed. The sky closed up. Didn't rain. We come to verse 18 of James chapter 5. Let's go back to James 5, verse 18. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. If you want to know the account, go to 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. Right in there, and you can read the account with Ahab. So what do we get from verse 17 and verse 18? What should we take away from it? Man prayed and God answered. Man prayed and God answered. See, it's not any more complicated than that. Man prayed and God answered. But you see, prayer involves the patience which awaits for that response. How are we when it comes to today? We're in a very quick, I can get it now, Matter of fact, the big thing that's being touted by Amazon and some of them, you order it in the morning and we'll have it at your door in the afternoon. We're, we're that kind of society today where we want it right now. Well, I hate to tell you this, but with God, it doesn't always come right now. And matter of fact, if you remember back to James writing about patience, you know, patience is a difficult thing for us. But oftentimes, if we're expecting God to work, sometimes we got to get ourselves out of the way and pray and, and allow God to work in whatever means he needs to work through. And sometimes it can take a little while for him to work through that process. So what do we come away from verse 14 through verse 18 with? In our own lives. How do we take verse 14 through verse 18 and apply it to our own lives? Well, let me give it to you. I'll sum it up for you. With this clear in our minds, verse 14 through verse 18, in our hearts that prayer is a very powerful thing. And my question to you is, do you believe in the power of prayer? Have you seen God answer prayer? I have. 
over and over and over again when we get out of the way and let him work. I've seen God do above and beyond anything that we could have ever imagined. It's called the power of prayer. It's just coming together, taking it to the Lord, and leaving it with him. Doing what we can do, and only what we can do, and leaving the rest of it up to God. So from this passage and the closing of his letter, here's what James is writing. From sickness to sin, weakness to suffering, we should share in the fellowship of prayer. I mean, you can go through this, and you can debate it, and you can cut it all up the way that you want to, specifically and exactly everything that James is trying to get across here. I will tell you, the bottom summary line of what James is trying to get across here is from sickness to sin, weakness to suffering, it makes no difference. We should share in the fellowship of prayer. That's what he says. In the fellowship of prayer. Yeah, and then you come to verse 19 through verse 20. And here's what he says. He says, my brethren, (laughs) my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So is he closing with? We have a responsibility for each other, not only when someone in physical or spiritual. Either it doesn't make any difference what the need is. Request help. But even in times when there is no such call, we should share in the fellowship of prayer. You see, the words in verse 19 through verse 20 express the measure of the concern and effort we're called to expend in our spiritual concern for those in spiritual need. Well, that's a new one today. That's a difficult one. You know, sometimes and so often, here's what's needed more than anything else is us to come alongside of another brother or sister and say, hey, I just, God's laid you on my heart. Is there anything I can pray with you about? See, here's here's what we like to do when we get into church. Yeah, everything's good. I'm all good. And inside of us, we're ripping apart. Inside of us, we're being torn apart. Why are we so hesitant to allow the fellowship of prayer to surround us in this fellowship of prayer and pray for each other. For what? For us to be what we need to be. And I'm going to tell you something. This, this is the tough one. The closing of his letter is tough. And I'm going to tell you something. You can't go through the closing of his letter in your own life and shut yourself off from what it is that he's saying. Because I can tell you right now, it comes right down to where life meets the road every day. He's trying to encourage the church. As one theologian wrote, here's what he wrote. It is our task to care 
and to rescue. It's our task to care and to rescue. Praying. Asking for God to accomplish in their heart and life what only God can do. Because we can't. So the closing of his letter, starting all the way from the beginning and going all the way to the close, it all just ties together. And it's interesting to me that he closes his letter with a whole entire emphasis on praying and prayer. From individual to the congregation to the fellowship of prayer, using Elijah as an example. I've had people tell me, say, well, Brother Robert, God just does not move and answer prayer like he, like he used to. Let me share this with you from my own heart. That's because oftentimes we pray with zero expectation of what God's going to do. Do we expect God? Do we anticipate God? Do we believe that God can do anything? We say it. But do we act like it? Do we serve like it? One of the things I want us to do this morning, I'm just going to throw this, going to throw this out. I'm going to ask Miss Jenny this morning, Brother Red, we, don't, we won't need any words up on the... I'm going to ask her to go to what a friend we have in Jesus and to play, okay? And here's what I want you to do. Don't need a hymn book, okay? Don't need a hymn book. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand together with me in just a moment, okay? You can go ahead and stand if you want to, okay? We have... We have need within our own church. And there are those here this morning that just need, just need God to work in their lives. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. Miss Jenny's going to play here in just a moment. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. You can stay in the pew where you're at too, but I'm going to ask the church to do something this morning. We're going to put a practical application behind what we just read from James's letter. And what I'm going to ask you to do is for the church to get on its knees and pray and ask God to do in this place what only he can. Not us, him. For us to get out of the way and let God work. We need more laborers. I'm going to tell you where they're going to come from. It's God who gives the increase, not us. We need in this place, not only this place, but in the church as a whole, we need a moving of God. And I'm going to tell you where it's going to start. It's going to start on our knees.